Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm an economist and a writer, and the mother of two girls. In last week's episode, we heard the first part of Nina's story. She shared her experience with an unwanted pregnancy in her early 20s, and also a highly sought-after pregnancy at age 40. It's the birth and the mental and emotional aftermath of this second pregnancy that's the subject of today's episode. Despite her training as a psychiatric nurse, she did not really get the care she needed at the time. We come back to Nina's story right after her doctor has confirmed that her water has indeed broken. Let's hear the rest of her inspiring story. He thought my water had broke. So then I knew enough that the baby had to be born within a certain amount of time. And when I didn't progress labor-wise, they told me I had to have a C-section and I didn't want a C-section more than anything. I didn't want a C-section. Did you not want the C-section because you're imagining a different kind of birth or just because you don't want surgery? So when I went to nursing school, wanted to go to nursing school to be able to be a nurse midwife eventually. And Part of that was that I, so I could provide women's health care. It, it kind of circles back a little bit to the overturn of Roe v. Wade. I, I expected that to happen sooner. In fact, in 1980, when Reagan was elected, I, I figured it's only a matter of years before we can't have access to safe and legal abortion again. So part of my thinking was if I become a nurse midwife, I can provide women's health care across the board, whatever, whatever it took, I was going to be part of that vanguard. So then I, I did my OBGYN rotation as a second year bachelor's student in a tertiary hospital that only saw, (laughs) that pretty much only saw emergency C-sections. So instead of being able to be with women, the rose petals floating in the whirlpool and shall shall we use some lavender on your back right now? That kind of thing. All I saw was, all I saw was emergency C-sections and it, it, I was not ready for that. And I wasn't going to go through any kind of nurse midwife training. It was just, it wasn't going to be me. Now, today I look back at that and I'm going, why didn't I just buck up and, and, you know, learn some skills, but, but I, I had seen too many of them and I knew they were wonderful. And I knew, I mean, I, you know, there were, there were like still births that, that they, they got those babies resuscitated. Those NICU nurses are angels and amazing. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was amazing, Yeah, but it was just, it was beyond something that I knew that I could probably cope with. So, so then when I found out I had to have a C-section, I was just it was like something, you know, something shut down. It felt like a failure, quite honestly. And everybody's saying, you got a 40-year-old body. I'm like, yeah, but I got a healthy 40-year-old body. My husband was wonderful and he was there every second of the whole thing. And, the, you know, the team was fine. They were medical people. They, they were doing what they had to do. But it was, it was, it was very upsetting. And 
since then, it was the first time I ever really had any experience with those levels of painkillers. And now I know I can't take them, but then I didn't realize the effect that they were going to have on me. So I, I, I hallucinated, I shook, I, I, I just did not do well with the painkillers, but I needed pain control. And so that was, that was, was very, very difficult. And of course, here I am being a horrible patient, just a horrible patient in the hospital that I worked in. Yeah. Well, it's, it's right. It's very different on the other side, right? It's a yeah. totally so different I'm straddling the side. So, yeah. so yeah, so it, it, nothing went the way that I had anticipated. And yet here I had this gorgeous, healthy, gorgeous little baby who was absolutely fine. And even my doctor was saying, what is your problem? You're going home with this gorgeous, wonderful, healthy baby. And once, once you hit a true depressive state, pretty much those arguments stop working and you know that they're not working and you know that there's something wrong with you, but somehow you just can't float your way to the other, other side. Uh, So I'm assuming the doctor said that to you, not because he wasn't empathic, but because he knew you. I I think he was just being like, you know, what the hell is, I mean, what's wrong with you? Really, it was, I think he would have said that to anybody who was acting like I was and had this wonderful, healthy baby. And I always thought, well, wow, how many other women didn't get the kind of understanding? But of course, I was very defended. I was very, I wasn't going to really let anybody know how, what was really going on for me. So I, you know, I can't put the blame totally on, on him or any of the nurses that cared. You're saying that you hit it. You sort of understood more about your condition, but you hit it. But I will say the current statistics are something like one in seven. So postpartum depression is super common. So I just, I'm surprised by his reaction because I'm guessing a lot of women act like that because they're under this siege of hormones. Right. And there's, right. Uh, so, so, yes. I mean, if, if that's what you mean, like, because he knew me, I think, you know, he probably minimized, you know, what he was seeing. And I really worked very, very hard to hide what was going on because I, I didn't, I just hit it. It was, it was, it was bad. And I think I said in the essay, you know, and I've said, I was, many times, I was just going to quote you. Can I quote your essay? Cause this is a good oh, yeah. line from no stranger. You say depression robs you of the clarity to use any of those skills or supports. I described it as quote Vaseline over the camera lens, the views distorted, but the object hasn't changed, which is still way too much abstraction for the depressed person to deal with. Yeah. Is that what you were going to quote? I was go- I was going to paraphrase that. Yeah. So yeah. You re- yeah, you read yeah. Yeah. That. That, that's a that's a a really powerful way to describe why someone who is trained cannot use that training on themselves in the moment. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for recognizing oh, that. Oh my God. Totally. But the other thing that's interesting is that you said that your husband was a therapist. Also, mm-hmm. he's a social worker. I feel like how are women supposed to crawl out of this if they themselves cannot necessarily recognize it? And, and you're with someone who's trained, right? Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he, he didn't see it until you told him. 
he didn't he didn't see the degree. I mean, he thought he felt very badly for me and he knew I was going through a lot, but he didn't he didn't know the degree to which I was. So it was a depression, but a very with with a lot of OCD. So postpartum also can bring a lot of obsessive compulsive thinking into into play and and depression and OCD are very closely connected under the rubric kind of, of, of anxiety. And so I mentioned in, in the, the essay that once, once upon a time, a colleague was making a joke about when he brought his infant son home from the hospital and the child he already had looked at the infant and said that would just about fit in the garbage disposal which was hilarious, right? At the time, I mean, you know, well, I guess maybe some people might not find it hilarious. We, you know, we, we snorted our lunch through our nose when we, you know, when he, he relayed that, but it was kind of like all of a sudden the microwave became the garbage disposal. This is how crazy it gets. This is how crazy it gets. And how could I ever tell anybody that now I would never have put my daughter in the microwave, but the, the crazy thought was I could. So it became this irrepressible thought. Like I could do that. I could do that. It's like the worst thing. Like it's a horror. It's worse than a horror movie. I was plagued with this and I didn't want my husband to know because he had to go back to work because he was taking two months off for paternity leave after I had my two months of maternity leave. So we would be able to keep our daughter out of daycare for four months. So everything was about, I have to keep my family together. You know, I have to hold everything together. I can't be crazy because then he won't be able to go to work. So he would leave and I go, bye. Okay, I'll talk to you later. And the second he drove out of the driveway, I would call my very, very elderly mother. And I would ask her to come over. And she would say, of course. And I say, don't ask me why I'm asking you to come over. And she'd say, Oh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll be there as soon as I can. And I wouldn't go downstairs until she got, got in the house. And then she'd say, what can I do? I'd say nothing. Just sit here. And she would sit in, in this rocking chair near the entrance to the kitchen. And I would never tell her what was going. I didn't tell her for like two years why I made her come and sit. So when you finally reveal it to her, did she have any sense of what was going on or she was surprised? No, she said, I knew something terrible was happening. I knew something terrible was happening for you. I didn't know how to help more than just to do what you asked me to do. So she was, she was pretty fantastic. That, that is kind of, that's amazing, right? That's all you need her to do. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wondered if she had a sense. So it sounds like she did have a sense. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. So how did you, how did you climb out of it? So as, as I, as I wrote in that, in that essay, my husband came home from work early one day. And since then we've talked about all this a million times. And I know, and he said that he just really felt like maybe 
if I got outside, I would do a little bit better. And it was really horrible weather. You know, she was born in January and then we had an ice storm. And on top of everything, there was a huge ice storm. So we couldn't even be in our house for two weeks because there was no electricity. There was no running water. So, you know, everything, you know, it was really a, a bad time. And he felt like exercise had always been something that was very important to me. Exercise had gotten me through a lot of things. I got sober by swimming laps. Yeah. Every day I added a lap and before you knew it, I was swimming a mile. And I said, well, I can never drink again because then I won't be able to swim a mile. So exercise had always been an, a very important part of my life. So he came home to get me outside and asked my mother to stay so he could make me go for a walk. <clears throat> and I was picking my way along the ice. And I just finally turned around and said to him, I need to tell you something. And I told him about the microwave. Now, he could have burst out laughing or he could have been absolutely horrified. But being the person that he is, you know, he just stopped and he put his hands on my shoulders and he looked into my eyes and he said, you would never hurt that baby. And I just snapped out of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It was like, it was probably ready to let, let go of its fingers on, on my brain, yeah. but just him saying the perfect thing at the perfect time, probably while I was breathing fresh air, you, you know, you would never hurt that baby. And from that point on, then things really, really got, they stabilized finally. Yeah, that's a relief. And so you didn't have to take medication or do anything like that. I didn't want to take medication because I, and I totally believe in medication. I'm part of my, my mishugas, as I call it my, you know, my craziness was that I didn't want to take medication. I probably would have done well on medication. I probably should have taken medication. I mean, look, if I were my own patient, I would have very, very gently worked with myself to get me on some medication, at least a simple a simple antidepressant. I'd been on medication a couple of times and I had some side effects to some of them. And I had back a long time ago, the only kind of antidepressants that there were, were the tricyclic antidepressants, which were very, you know, they were fraught with side effects. Yeah you know, um, sedation, weight gain, a lot of, a lot of different things that were uncomfortable, but they worked, but you know, you also had to put up with all this other stuff. And then I tried in a couple other medications and, and I did have side effects. So looking back, you know, I probably should have been on, you know, some Prozac or some Zoloft, something simple, Yeah, but it was part of being crazy that didn't, didn't allow me. It was part of that, you know, significant depression that didn't allow me. I felt like any, any inch I gave, it, you know, could become a mile. Yeah. Like if I gave a tiny bit and, and succumbed to depression medication, then I would have, you know, like slid, I don't know where I thought I was going to slide into. Well, and, and how old is your daughter now? She is 31. Okay. So, so this was a little while ago. This was the it was, yeah. 90s, 90s. She was born in 91. Yeah. yeah. So the landscape was totally different then than it is now in terms of 
drugs that you have access to while pregnant for depression. But I just interviewed a psychiatrist at UNC who specializes in postpartum depression. And she said, she said two things. One thing is 2019 is the first time the FDA ever granted access to a drug that's specifically for postpartum depression. And unlike even things like Prozac, this new drug, she said, works in 60 hours. You remember what it was? Yeah, it's called Zolreso. Oh. But she said, she said, yeah, there's, there's, I think it's the Zolreso one is, it's an IV medication. Um, oh. But, but, but she said they're also coming out with a pill form too that is, she, I think she was a part of one of the clinical trials. She said like the relief for the women is incredible and incredibly fast compared to my sense of Prozac and those other ones, Zoloft, is that it takes a couple of weeks, like four weeks or something, right? At it takes least. a little while. Yeah. So, so this fast acting thing is just amazing. You know, when I have pregnant women now in my practice, I, you know, I always consult with their OBGYNs as well, but we are very comfortable now with a lot of the medications that back then, I mean, when I worked in the hospital as a, as a staff nurse, I mean, we would hospitalize some people for their whole entire pregnancy because we didn't, we couldn't give them medications. And so now those women would never have needed to stay in the hospital. They would have been able to have mood stabilizers and they would have been able to have, you know, some of the antidepressants. And so, you know, the, it's, it's really a much different playing field now. There's certain medications now that people can't be on when they're pregnant, but, but many that they can and the moms, you know, as long as the moms are happier, the babies do better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not totally without risk, but if you're really, really careful and you work with your, the OBGYN team as well, or at least get the mom on medications, if, if she's prone to depression, you know, get her on as, as soon after delivery is, as you can. So it is, it's a different landscape, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's amazing that you made it through and that you had, you sort of faced all these things that you hadn't imagined would be in your path, that it would take you a while to get pregnant, that you would have a C-section, that you would have postpartum depression. And, and it sounds like you overcame them all, essentially. I'm very fortunate. Yeah, I'm that's very awesome. fortunate. And, you know, there's, there's a piece of it. I mean, you never, you know, you don't hope for bad things to happen to yourself or to anybody else, but it's made me a very, very different clinician than I might have been had I not gone through so much of this myself. And, you know, you don't always share with patients, you know, what your own experience has been, but, you know, but sometimes in the service of the treatment, you might, you know, it might be just a little, a little story about what happened to me that might help a woman decide, oh, okay, you know, maybe I should try this or I kind of trust her. So I'll try the medication. And I am grateful for that as well. I, I wouldn't have wanted to have gone through that. Oh my God. You know, it's, I still get tears in my eyes when I, when I think about how painful it was, but it's given me a degree of empathy 
that I would never have had without having to face like the Vaseline on the lens. You know, I, 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 I try to apply that knowledge when I'm working with people who are really very symptomatic. Well, we had a rare medical issue and the only person I connected with on the vast medical team that was assigned to us as my pregnancy progressed was the woman who had some relevant experience. She's the only one who really kind of attuned to me and said things that had real purchase. So I, I can imagine it makes a huge difference with your patients because, I mean, even in your experience, right, it's lonely, it's terrifying, you don't really know what's going on. So to have someone on your team who has been through it and has gotten to the other side and is a professional is just, is amazingly valuable. I'm glad to hear that there was somebody on your team that was able to provide you with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally grateful to her. And I was very grateful to the editors of Mothering Through Darkness the, you know, the anthology that I had, that I had my piece in. And they, they brought to light stories that not enough people talk about. There is a lot of shame connected with postpartum depression or depression through pregnancy or infertility. It's kind of like, you know, your body is designed to do these things that like all these 18 year olds get pregnant and what are they going to do with these babies? And, you know, like, it's like, how does that happen? And then you're waiting so long for this yourself until you're settled and you're, you know, you can be a, a good mom and provide well. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like not happening or happening and not you know, not happening the way you had envisioned that it should happen. It's, it's very, it's very, it's very challenging. And I was very glad that they put together that book. Um, Anybody who can get those stories out there. So the people, men and women, I mean, men are supporting women who are trying to go through these things. And I think they understand it even less. So anything that we can get out there like you're you talking about this on on a podcast is is still so necessary because we haven't I don't think we've come that far no I agree and I I'm I'm guessing that some of the shame is a reflection of expectation I I expect my body to do all these things like yeah. my cervix to open at the right time and yeah. right, like, but that's not that's not really how it works so that expectation is based on a story but not a true story because honestly, like every part of this process is a challenge at some level. And when you, you know, we had trouble getting pregnant and when you have trouble getting pregnant and you're forced to investigate the details of that process, you're like, how does anyone get pregnant, right? It's a, a, a crazy number of things that have to come together at just the right time and just the right way. So how's anyone born? I, it's a miracle, right? It's a, <laughs> amazing. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I totally appreciate your sharing your story. Well, thank you for letting me share it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Anything that has to do with women's reproductive <laughs> rights or women's reproductive path right now has got to be out in the forefront. It's just, it's just got to be, we've got to be talking about all of these aspects 
of reproduction because yeah. we're we're hovering over some 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 very very bad times. Yeah, agreed. We'll have to get through it together. Thanks again to Nina for sharing her story, which is particularly interesting given that she's a healthcare provider who experienced a condition she's often treating in other women. I think her story eloquently highlights the fact that we can read about a condition and even recognize it in others, but sometimes there's no teacher more powerful than lived experience. I put a link to Nina's piece, No Stranger, in the show notes, and also included links to the cutting-edge treatments now available for peripartum and postpartum depression that we touched on. Thanks for listening. Feel free to like and subscribe to the show and leave a review. We'll be back next Friday with another story of overcoming.